If you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, we'll be taking our text from this morning. Romans chapter 8. We're only going to be looking at uh, verse 18, Lord willing, this morning, but we are going to be looking at numerous passages of Scripture in the Bible, so make sure you have your Bibles open and ready, because we'll be looking at several different passages of Scripture. But our opening text is Romans chapter 8, verse 18. And here the Bible says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. We now need your help, Lord. We need you to preach for us and through us. May a mighty work be done in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we looked at the verses 11 uh, through 17 of this chapter, and we read those great truths about what it means to be a child of God. We discussed who is a child of God, how you become a child of God, who's not a child of God. We discussed being an heir of God and a joint heir of Christ. We saw those wonderful benefits that the Bible tells us of that we receive simply because we are a child of God. And those are wonderful things. And we ended there on verse 17, which we didn't use a lot of emphasis on the last part of verse 17. We looked at the first part of it, about the being a, an heir of, of, of children and heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We focused on that a lot. But that last part of that verse, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And so that is really a springboard for verse 18 that we read this morning. Verse 18 starts out with that word for. And if you'll notice all through this chapter here in Romans chapter 8, the, the next verse will say for, and the next one for. What that is, that's Paul uh, uh, telling you what he just said, what this is for. So it's a, it's a running theme throughout Paul's writings. And since he said this, for this. And, and it just keeps growing and growing and growing into this this final result that Paul has for us here in, in God's Word. But here we find these comparisons of suffering and glory. Now, I titled the message this morning, Sufferings Compared to Glory. That seems very odd to think of suffering and glory going together, but we find in our Bible that is the truth. The Bible speaks numerous times about the suffering of Christians. And, you know, it's been said that a Christian is either presently suffering now, has been suffering and coming out of it, or is about to go into some kind of suffering. Uh, whether that's true or not, you know, remains to be seen. But we do find in a Christian life, and the Bible is very clear on that, that Christians will suffer, shall suffer. Didn't say they might. Didn't say that perhaps, but that they will and they shall suffer. Well, today, in today's watered-down megachurches you'll find today, you won't hear this message preached in the fashion we're preaching in this morning, of the truth from God's Word, about how sufferings are being compared to glory. Instead, today, they want to tickle men's ears. They want to just say what man wants to hear. And so they avoid the deep things of God, and they'll use those, those little, I talked about it last week, the cutesy Christian cliches. And they'll use a lot of those, like, name it and claim it. You hear that on the, on the, the community channel. Some of these uh, uh, heretical churches get on there, and they'll say, name it and claim it. You'll find that even on the, on the big broadcast channels, the, the big mega 
preachers or the televangelists. They name it and claim it. That's what their ministry is all based on. And how about this one? Just trust Jesus and all your troubles will be over. That is one of the biggest lies that you will ever hear in your life. That is not in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible will you find that mentioned. In fact, we find in the Bible that it's just the opposite. We find that when men and women believe in the Lord Jesus and, and He's their Savior, that they suffer. And many of them suffer greatly because of Christ. Now this morning we're talking about suffering. Now, just because of sin itself, we're going to suffer sickness and, and pain and things like that, death. All that's the, because of sin. But that's not really the suffering we're talking about here. It's not suffering through cancer. I mean, people get cancer. Everybody in my family gets cancer. I assume I will die of cancer of some kind. Because of sin. Sin has caused that. But the suffering that we're talking about in the Bible compared to glory is the sufferings that happen because of Christ. Because you're a follower of Christ. A disciple of Christ. And so the human penman of the book of Romans, of course, being the Apostle Paul, probably understood suffering more than anyone else on the face of this earth, perhaps besides Job and the Lord Jesus. We're going to talk about both of those before we're finished. But here, only hours after Paul was saved, in the book of Acts, chapter 9, he was saved. Only hours after that happened, the Lord Jesus went over to Damascus where Paul was headed and talked to a man there, Ananias. And he warned him what was about to happen. And he, and he told him that he had one that was coming. And listen to what it says in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10. The Bible says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas. For one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth, and has seen in the vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Now remember what just happened, just previous to this. Saul was, was, uh, was uh, blinded there on that road to Damascus. He fell down on the ground, and the Lord met him there, and the Lord saved him. And then just, just hours, maybe an hour after this happened, or just right after it, this occurs, this man Ananias has this vision, that God has given him. Verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard of, by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now listen to what verse 16 says and make sure you pay great attention. Jesus says to Ananias, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Did you see that? Jesus himself appointed Paul to suffering. He appointed him to suffering. Now, wait a minute. What about that? Just trust in the Lord and all your troubles will be over. What about that? Well, that flies right in the face of all that uh, false teaching. That's not what the Lord said. The Lord said, He must suffer. He must suffer for my namesake. Now notice he said for my namesake. In other words, suffering for Christ. He's not going to suffer because he's a Jew. He's not going to suffer because he 
is uh, born a, a Roman citizen. Those will come into play, but that's not why he's suffering. He's suffering because he's going to be, he's my child, and he's working for me. It's because of me he's going to have to suffer. Now, we all know what it means to suffer. Webster defines it like this. Webster says, to feel or bear what is painful, disagreeable, or distressing, either to the body or mind. Well, I'd like to add two more things to that definition. That would be to the spirit and the soul. Because our spirit and our soul greatly suffers for Christ many times. And boy, did Paul ever suffer. Of anyone that could write about this, it would be Paul. And I'm going to give you several places in the Bible where we see the how Paul is, is speaking to the churches and talking about his suffering because of Christ. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And let's look at verses 23 through 33. And I'm going to catch you up here. In 2 Corinthians, it is kind of an answer to what he wrote in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, he wrote this letter because there were a lot of people that were against Paul. He'd written to the church, and he was concerned about what they thought about him and his ministry. Because many people came in and lied about Paul and said that he was a false teacher. He was teaching an easy believism. He was doing this and that. And so Paul wrote on this, this thing, rebuke of a letter, and he didn't know how they took it. And so he was waiting for one of his friends to come and talk to him about what had happened. If the church had gotten the letter and what they thought about it. Well, he never showed up. And so Paul is now writing this next letter here, talking about all the things that he has went through. And he talks about these, these people that's been speaking against him. And he says, now, have they been through this? Have they had to suffer this? Have they done this? Because listen to what's happened to me. And so 2 Corinthians 11 and 23 Paul writes, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Or oft. Verse 24. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. We all know that the Jews only uh, beat, beat someone with thirty-nine stripes. That, that's what that is. Forty save one. So it's thirty-nine. And Paul was beaten over and over and over just to the brink of death is where that brings you. And he says, I, that's happened to me five times. Twenty-four, uh, Verse 24, of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. Paul is, is just recounting his ministry, what's happened to him on all these missionary journeys. He says, has this happened to anybody that's been coming to you telling you what my ministry is about? I don't think so. Are they ministers of Christ? Because I am, and this has happened to me because of it. And he said, listen, I've been stoned. Can you imagine being stoned? Just because of your belief in Christ? There's people being stoned today. Not here in the United States. Not because of being a Christian here. But over in other countries, they're being stoned because they believe in Christ. Paul says he was stoned. He was left for dead. He was drugged outside the city gates, left there. They thought he was dead. That's when uh, he kind of left his body, went into the third heaven, and said he couldn't talk about it and all that. He was given that thorn in the flesh. All that happened because of that. And shipwrecked. We all know about that. He told them, listen, we don't need to go out there on that water. Something bad is going to happen. They went anyway. What happened? They had a shipwreck. Paul said, see, I told you. If you'd listen to me, this would not have happened. And he says he was out in the deep. 
He said, I've been out of the deep. In other words, he's clinging on to things floating around in the water after a shipwreck, and he's hanging on for dear life. We don't know how many times he's experienced this. In verse 26, in journeys, often in perils of water. There again, in perils of water. Out there on the ocean, because he had to sail from one place to the other to get to where he was going, many things happened. Storms would come up and, and all this. And he starts mentioning all these other perils of robbers. People waiting around in the shadows, waiting to jump on him and get him and rob him. In perils by my own countrymen. That means the Jews. My own countrymen, my own people. I, I'm in peril of. They're all trying to kill me. They're all after me. He says, in perils by the heathen. The Gentiles are after me. I can't go anywhere. I go into the Jewish synagogue. They run me out and try to cause a riot and stone me to death. And I go out and the Gentiles are doing the same thing. In perils of, of the heathen. In perils in the city. Every city Paul went into, something happened. In perils in the wilderness. I Even out in the middle of the desert, there's perils of some kind as Paul is out there going from place to place. In perils in the sea, again. In perils among false brethren. Even those that claim to be Christians, claim to be on Paul's side, he's their false brethren. I'm in perils with them. They're causing all kinds of trouble for me. Verse 27, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and naked. This wasn't, Paul wasn't fasting for a spiritual reason. He was fasting because he didn't have any food. It's what he's saying here. He said he was hungry. He was thirsty. He didn't have nothing. Now, how many of us today would continue in a ministry when this type of thing was going to face us? Everywhere we went, people trying to kill us, rob us, beat us. Uh, we, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we don't have anything. Uh, not many people are going to do that. Verse 28, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, and this, this don't discount this one, the care of all the churches. Paul was continuously uh, concerned about all these churches, the ones that he'd been to and founded and and was trying to help. He was constantly in turmoil. His stomach was tore all to pieces, worrying and, and being concerned about those churches. Uh, what's being? What's happening to them? These false brethren is creeping in. These wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, what's happening to them? And so Paul continuously is concerned about those churches, and that is a big thing. Listen, sometimes your mental uh, condition far outweighs your your physical. You can go through a lot of physical problems. You can get beat and cut and bruised and banged up and everything. You can handle that. But sometimes that mental stress will do you in. I know working in the job that I work in, I've worked in it 17 years. This August 23rd, I've been 17 years in this business that I work in. And uh, the mental stress that you can go in sometimes, it's about en enough to drive you crazy. But these things that Paul's going on, thinking about the churches and concerned about them, it's, it's overwhelming. And he says in uh, verse 29, Who is weak? And I, and I am not weak. Who's offended? And I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. Paul said, I'm telling you the truth here. All this has happened to me. I don't know about these guys that's coming to you saying all this stuff, what they've done or what they've been through, but I can tell you this. What I'm telling you right now is the truth. And uh, I, I can prove it. Uh, and he says in verse 32, In Damascus, the governor under Aratus 
the king kept the city of the uh, Damascusines with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. That was the very first thing that, that happened to Paul after he was saved and they were uh, they come and you know they found out he was there and got to lower him out of there in a basket down the city wall because they're coming to get him. Uh, okay, now look over in Second Corinthians chapter one and verse eight. Second Corinthians one and verse eight. He says this. He says, "For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure." Above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Paul, what he's trying to say here is this is so mentally and physically exhausting. We were at our wits' end. He said, I could not handle it anymore. And Paul could not handle it on his own strength. It was only by the grace of God, by God giving him the strength, that he was able to go on. He said he was out of measure. In other words, I, I couldn't do it. He says, above strength. In other words, I didn't have the strength in me. So it was only the Lord that helped him. He said, I was despaired even of life. Paul said, I might as well be dead. I might as well. So the average person would have given up on the first sign of trouble, but Paul continued on and on and on, and he suffered many great things. But we notice that he, he starts comparing all those sufferings that he had to the glory of God. To the glory that, that awaits him. And so uh, that's what we're talking about here in our opening text, Romans 8 and 18. Look at it again. For I reckon, Paul must have been from, from the south. He reckons. I know, Paul didn't speak in English. He spoke in Greek. Uh, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You see that? These sufferings of this present time. All these things Paul has talked about. Because this letter in Romans was written after he wrote all these things to the Corinthians. And so he said, all this suffering in this present time that I'm going through, in prison and suffering, beating and all this, he said, it's, you know, it's not even worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, this is, yes, it's really bad what, what's happening. And he's speaking to other Christians that are suffering too for their belief in Christ. He said, I know what you're going through is really, really bad. But listen, it is nowhere near to be even compared to the glories that await us. What God's prepared for us. And so many times you can replace that word glory with word heaven. A lot of times you'll hear somebody say, well, he's went on to glory. And we're talking about heaven. We get that from the Bible. Colossians 3 and 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. It's referring to heaven. So many times you can use that word glory and replace it with heaven and, and just say, listen, these things that's happening right now, this suffering, it's bad, but boy, it doesn't compare to what's laying in store in heaven. Up in glory. So Paul's making this case all throughout uh, his writings. Uh, it, and it isn't the only time that Paul compares suffering with glory. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. He writes, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, 
that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. You see this, Paul, Paul's laying out all these, these mental and physical stressors that he's going through above measure, beyond what we can handle and all this. But we're not, we've not been forsaken. The Lord's been with us. Verse 10. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken, we also believe, and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. That word redound is the only time you'll see it in the King James Bible, by the way. Uh, I noticed that this week. A lot of times we look at it and we, we think it says rebound, but it says redound. It means kind of the same thing, but it means to abound more and more is what that word means, redound. Uh, go back to verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Verse 17, here it is. Here's the key. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal way of glory. There it is. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Do you see that in verse 17? He said these light afflictions. What do you mean light afflictions? <laughs> His afflictions wasn't light. He says, you know what, compared to glory they are. To the weight, the weightiness of glory, these these afflictions I'm going through, sure they're, they're bad, but they're light compared to glory. And uh, listen, to us it seems that our suffering is very heavy; it will never end, and we sometimes get bogged down in the suffering and wallow in self pity. And that's what Paul's trying to warn us against: don't get all wallowed down in self pity and thinking about how bad you got it. He said, this suffering you're going through, sure, you're going through it, but it's light when you think about glory. In fact, he said there in verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. In other words, quit looking at all the trouble, the affliction, the pain you're going through, and look at those things you can't see here that are waiting up in glory. For the things which are seen are temporal. In other words, these things you're looking at right now, this is temporary. And the truth is, this time we have here on earth is nothing but a blip in eternity. Because one of these days, this, this little life of ours is going to be over right like that. And we'll be in eternity. You're either going to be in heaven or hell for eternity. And that never, ever, 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 ever ends. Guess I It never ends. And you'll look back on this little short time we had here on earth and you'll think, well, that was nothing. That's just like, right like that. And I spent so much time worrying and fretting and wallowing in my self-pity. 
And now look at all the splendors and glory of heaven. Boy, I was so dumb worried about all that. Paul told me not to. He said, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, this stuff down here, it's temporal. You're going to one day leave this earth and leave all these troubles behind you. But those things which you don't see right now, that's laying up there, they're everlasting, eternal. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, 10-12. Paul says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Now, all those are good things right there. But Paul says, Timothy, you know about all these things about me. And he says in verse 11, Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Listen, he said they shall. If you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer for the cause of Christ. For the cause of Christ. What would it be like if we never had to suffer? We'd be spooled brats. What if God saved us and just like the televangelist said, all your troubles will be over, you know, maybe plan it. What if it was really like that? We wouldn't appreciate God at all. We would not. It's like it's like a spooled kid that has rich parents that give them everything they want. They never have to work for anything, never have to do anything. They're spooled. It means nothing to them. All that stuff. That's what it would be like if God only let good things happen. If you know everything was hunky dory, we never suffered at all. It wouldn't mean anything to us. But we know when we suffer, we get down on our knees and we cry out to the Lord and we know He's there listening and He's there to help us. And so, Paul says, those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The truth is, it's during suffering that God does the most work in His children. We don't like to think of that, but that's the truth. If, if the church at Jerusalem had never come under persecution, they would never have left Jerusalem. But because they were persecuted, because they were suffering, they scattered throughout all the world and the gospel was spread everywhere because of suffering. God uses our suffering to refine us, to make us how we need to be, to test our faith. It's much like gold being burned in a furnace to get all the dross off and to come out with the, the pureness. And that's what Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Peter says this, he says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of, and here he uses the word glory, full of glory. And what did he say in, in verse 7? The trial of your faith. In other words, your suffering. The suffering for Christ. Because of that, it's precious to you. It's more precious than even gold that men desire to have. Men will kill for gold. Well, this thing that you have, the trial of your faith, is more precious than that. Because why? Because of the unspeakable and full of glory, he said. And so Peter is using the same comparison that Paul uses of suffering and glory. And he does it several times in his letters. 1 Peter chapter 3, look at verses 14 through 18. 
He says, But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Did you notice that there in verse 17? For it's better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing. <laughs> Peter said, it's better off if you'll suffer for well-doing than to suffer for something dumb you've done. Or something man can say against you. But if they're saying it against you for the cause of Christ, it's a good thing. He said this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Verse 13 is the key. Look, But rejoice, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed... Ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. And so there we see it again. Peter and Paul both saying, listen, suffering is good for you. Suffering, and Peter kept saying it as a Christian, suffering for the cause of Christ, you know, it's good. Don't, don't be ashamed of it, but yet glory in it because you're bringing glory to God when you suffer for the cause of Christ. Some people may not like that. There'll be Christians today that say, well, I'm one of the, you know, I don't get all into all that stuff, you know. I got saved, but that you know, I'm not going. I'm not getting into all that. Well, listen, uh, it's just the truth from God's word. James, uh, he does it too. He doesn't use the word suffering. He uses the word affliction and temptation. Uh, James one two through three says, "My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations." That word divers means many. So when you fall into many temptations, knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, when he says uh, those divers temptations, he's not being—he's not talking about being tempted by sin. It don't mean be happy when you're tempted by sin. That's not what he's saying. Temptations means afflictions, right here. That's what the word means. So, count it all joy when you fall into many afflictions, many sufferings, because and he relates it to the faith. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You better believe if you're suffering for Christ. You are, are, it's trying your faith and your patience. He says this in James 1 and 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. So most of the times we think about temptation being tempted to sin. But here James is referring to it as affliction, suffering for the cause of Christ. Now, we think of other men in the Bible and we'll be finished we think about Joseph, the godly Joseph, back in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. 
In fact, Joseph, I believe, if I remember correctly, there's more said about him and his his life than any other character in uh, the book of Genesis. But Joseph, in Genesis chapter 50, we all know what happened to him. Um, he was sold into slavery by his brothers, hated by his brothers. Here comes that dreamer, let's kill him. Instead, they threw him in a pit and then brought him up, sold him off into slavery, went into Egypt, and uh, there he had a master Potiphar. Potiphar's wife lied about him, said that uh, he tried to attack her, sexually assault her, and he was put in prison for something he did not do. And so all through Joseph's life, we find that he is a type of Christ, never did anything wrong, but yet was falsely accused and had to go through suffering, spend all that time suffering. Yet, we all know what happened. Of course, the Lord exalted him up, second in command in Egypt. But however, after all that life that he went through and all the suffering that he had and all the people around him that caused him to suffer, he said this, Genesis 50 and 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now God is not, he's not the inventor of evil. He's not the one that caused the evil, but God will use the evil for his glory and for your betterment. And that's what he did with Joseph. Now, of course, we have to mention Job. Job, the man that we talk about, I mean, that whole book of Job is nothing but Job's suffering over and over and over. But I want you to understand something about what happened to Job. The Bible said he was righteous. In fact, he was the most righteous man on the face of the earth at the time. He was upright. He eschewed evil. He loved the Lord. But listen to what it says in Job 1 and 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? It was the Lord that caused Job to go through the suffering. Satan didn't choose Job. The Lord chose him. The Lord said, Have you considered Job? There's none like him in the earth. A perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and sheweth evil. You couldn't have anything better said about you than that. The Lord himself said that about Job, but yet he offered him up to suffer for his sake. Job 1, 21 through 22. After all this stuff Job's going through, he says this. It said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Now we all know he suffered even more greatly after that, after those words. But Job, in the end, we know that the Lord, how he multiplied him and had more than he ever had. And you say, well, you know, I'd rather have my original family. Job probably would have said that as well. <laughs> but listen. Job, God used him and refined him, and he used him as an example of faith. Think about it. If God will allow such things to happen to those that are upright, a shoe of evil, perfect, nobody else like him, then why would we not expect those things to happen to us? Why would we expect not to suffer? Because I can't say that about me. The Lord's not going to say that about me. He's not going to say, if you considered my servant Byron, he's perfect and upright and a shoe of evil. He can't say that because it's not the truth. He said that about Job and he offered him up. Now, we can't end this message without, of course, speaking about the Lord Jesus. Listen, that's the catalyst. I mean, all this has been the catalyst leading up to what we're, we're 
getting to. Everything points to Christ. The suffering of Paul, the suffering of Joseph, the suffering of, of Job, all this suffering that Peter talked about, all this is leading up to the glorification of Christ because that's what it's all about. Now, we speak a lot about the suffering of Jesus around Easter time. We talk about the, the death, burial, and resurrection. We talk about the arrest, the betrayal, the beating, um, the stabbing the sword in the side, the crown of thorns on the head, plucking the beard, all the suffering Christ did. Out of anybody ever on the face of the earth that was perfect, it was the Lord Jesus. That did not deserve to suffer, it was the Lord Jesus. Yet he suffered greater than anyone ever on the face of the earth. And you'll find in the Bible, the Lord warns us many times because he suffered and because of who he is, that those that follow him, those that believe in him, those are his disciples, his children, they too will suffer. And one of the greatest examples will be finished. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. We all know what happened there in the book of John. It was around chapter 13, um, just before 14. Uh, they're all gathered together up there and they're having a last supper. Jesus washed their feet, had the last supper, told them about his betrayal by one of them. They were all greatly upset. And Jesus starts talking to them. And he spends, you'll see chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, all through there, Jesus is speaking to them about what's going to happen when he leaves. He's trying to prepare them for the suffering they're about to endure. Listen to what he says, John 15, verse 18, and we'll go all the way through chapter 16, verse 4. John 15 and 18, Jesus tells them this. He said, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now I want you to, to make sure you understand this. God chose you. He preordained us unto him, predestined us to be saved. And so he chose us, just like he tells us, I've chosen you, and he chose us out of this world. Verse 20, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is no greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake. Because they know not him that sent me. In other words, they're not saved. They don't know God. And this is why they're doing it. If I had not come and spoken to them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. In other words, Jesus, I came and personally appeared to them. Told them and showed them and proved who I am. They rejected me. If I hadn't have done that, then they wouldn't have been any problem here. But now that they know the truth, there's no escape from their sin. Verse 23, he that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the comforters come, whom I will send unto you from the father, even the spirit of truth which proceedeth from the father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. Verse, chapter 6, verse 1. These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh, 
that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father, nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. So Jesus has given them a, a warning here. He says, listen guys, you know I'm about to go away. One of you is going to betray me. It's already in the works. He's right now out there doing it. They're going to come and arrest me. They're going to kill me. But they're going to bury me and I'm going to raise again in three days. But I want you to know what's going to happen after all that. It's going to get bad for you. Because you believe in me, because you follow me, because you claim me as your Lord, they're going to treat you like they treated me. They're going to persecute you. They're going to run you out of the synagogue. The Jews are even going to boast and say, we did this for God. Yeah, that's what the crazies over there are saying, those Muslims over the terrorists. That's what they're saying. We're chopping people's heads off for God. No, they're not. They're doing it for Satan. So all these things that the Lord warned them about, they actually happened to the disciples just as he said they would. And those that are his disciples today can expect just the same. The world still hates Jesus. They still hate the Father because they don't know the Father. They don't know Jesus, but they hate him. And because they hate him, they hate all Christians. They love to see Christians come under conflict. They love to see a Christian mess up too. There ain't nothing that the world loves more than to see a preacher on the headlines of the news that did something wrong. Boy, they eat that up. Anytime anybody's a preacher, a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, you better believe if they messed up, if they've sinned, they've done something, that's the thing they're going to put in the headlines. Youth pastor does this. Youth minister does it. Pastor does this. You know, preacher does it. They love it. But the average person that's not not a religious leader, they won't put down their title. You know, they'll say a Knoxville man, you know, or a Seymour man, or Maryville man. But they won't say uh, what a uh, uh, Alcoa aluminum employee. They won't. They won't do that. But boy, they will about a Christian because they hate us. The truth is the world delights in seeing us persecuted. Here in the United States, we have no idea what it means to suffer for the cause of Christ. We think we're suffering when somebody makes fun of us. We think we're suffering if somebody rejects a Bible tract. We think we're suffering when somebody, you know, um, uh, curses in front of us or something. Oh, my goodness, don't they know that I don't like that? What do you expect? They're the world. We shouldn't expect the world to act like a Christian because they, they're not. And so I pray that one day we won't have to experience the suffering that a lot of places are because of Christ. But regardless of what's happening or what may happen to us, what we have to do is remember what God's Word says. These light afflictions. But Brother Byron are cutting people's heads off. I know that. But if you think about the glory that awaits that person, it's nothing in comparison to the glory. But Brother Byron, I mean, that's, that's terrible. I know it is. Paul says these light afflictions that we're going through are nothing to be compared to what awaits for us in glory. Listen, after Christ was buried and rose again, he ascended unto the Father. And what happened? He was exalted into his glory. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the what? 
glory of God the Father. Listen, one of these days, we too will rule and reign with Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. We will rule and reign with Christ. We will bask in his glory. Are we the ones to be exalted? No, we're not to be exalted. Christ is. But we will rule and reign with him. We'll be in his glory. And it will make this little time down here and any suffering that we've had to endure all look like nothing. We'll sit back and laugh and say, oh boy, I thought I had it so bad. Boy, I had it good. And boy, I really got it good now. So remember that. When you're having to go through some kind of suffering for the cause of Christ, it's for your, your benefit. It's for his glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the message today. Lord, I thank you for telling us these truths. Lord, not treating us like little spooled brats and giving us our way with everything and, and never allowing us to go through any kind of problem. God, thank you for telling us the truth. Lord, thank you for those times of suffering. It's, it's, a, it's a strange for us to think that way. But God, we believe your word and we trust in it. And if you say that's what needs to happen, then Lord, that's what we're looking at. Lord, we're believing it. Help us, Father. Lord, help those that's listening to this message online or maybe listening to it later, sermon audio or YouTube or wherever it may be broadcast. And God, I pray if they're not saved, that you'll convict their heart, show them the need to be saved before it's too late. Because, Lord, any, any suffering down here is nothing to compare to the suffering that's going to happen in hell. Lord, help them. Lord, help us as a church. May we always give you the glory for everything. For these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.